Welcome to 3AM, a learning opportunity through conversation furnished by the McFarland Group. We record in the Relationary Marketing Studios at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. 3AM is a podcast conversation driven to bring the best stories about solutions from social impact superstars. Our intent through these conversations is to optimize your impact as you disrupt the status quo to make the world better. And why do we call our podcast 3AM? Frankly, because so many of us wake up in the middle of the night with questions, concerns, inspiration, and sometimes regret. And that time, 3 a.m., is the time in a person's daily cycle when the body intersects the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning according to the traditional Chinese understanding of how the body works. The 3 a.m. podcast captures the moments these social impact leaders awake to wonder, dream, pivot, or assess their efforts to make the world better. Their stories will help all of us in this work of seeking justice. For this episode of 3 a.m., I enjoyed an engaging conversation with Terry Hughes, president and CEO of the Center for Nonprofit Management here in Nashville. CNM is an iconic organization whose mission is to amplify the impact of nonprofits and their partners connecting the community to realize our greatest opportunities to make the world better. CNM does this through a myriad of ways. Check them out on cnm.org. We invited Terry to 3AM to discuss leadership and success in the social impact space. We learned a lot of things, including that your funders are actually just like investors and that they want their investment to succeed. So how do you communicate with them if things aren't going according to plan? She also talked about their Innovation Catalyst Program, Nashville's Social Impact Incubator, a year-long journey that expands an organization's alternative revenue sources, moving it from the Oliver Twist Cup to social enterprise. So there's a lot of takeaways in this conversation. So let's jump in. Terry, thanks so much for being with us on 3AM. We're very glad that you could be here today. The reason why we'd like you to be here today and to talk with us is sometimes people in this space, in the social impact space, aren't quite sure how to understand what success can look like, feel like, or how to actualize success in their organization. So I thought you would be the perfect guest to begin to talk about that. So thanks for coming today. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's just start off kind of with a definition. So how would you define success in the space of social impact? Well, I think generally success is the achievement of a goal or the completion of a big project or a campaign. And I think you only know that you're there if you've taken the time to develop strategy and a plan and that you've been sure to create measurable results so that when you get to the other side, you, you know you were successful. And then always making space for evaluation and celebration. All right. Well, that's a terrific equation. Let's dig a little into that piece of equation where you're talking about, you know, delivering the mission and having some way to measure the success. Sometimes, particularly in the world we work, the notion of quantitative and qualitative just seem to be 
at odds with each other. Can we talk about that? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot of tension between quantitative and qualitative. And we get a lot of pressure often from grant funders to be on the quantitative side. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to measure in the work that we do in the social sector. I find a blend of, you need the numbers, you definitely need the numbers, but that qualitative Uh, testimonials, stories of success, that goes a huge long way. So I think really a blend of those two is very, very important. And ultimately, if you're a numbers person, you need the numbers to be sold on a potentially making a big gift. But if you're that heartstrings person, that qualitative kind of um, storytelling is really important too. Yeah, I think for me, the quantitative sometimes can feel antiseptic. And I think initially not understanding the power that the numbers can carry, particularly for funders, particularly in in grant writing. But it also lets you measure your success. It lets you think in a business-like way, we need to move forward. Here's how we know we're moving forward. Or a program we thought was going to do something, we might have to pivot. Um, Has that been true in your, kind of in your work, understanding that sometimes those measurements, they don't necessarily conclude that an effort, a mission, a program has been unsuccessful, maybe it's just honestly missed the mark and needs a little bit of refashioning to better serve the folks or the entities that you're trying to serve. Well, I think the numbers are only significant if you take the time to figure out what they're really saying. I mean, numbers tell a story too. And I think you want to be sure that you take the time to evaluate what this all means and then pivot and be willing to revamp or um, take a step back if the story that the numbers are telling isn't what the intended outcome was. So now I'm getting into the point where it can not only cause tension, but it can even cause a little bit of fear. So Mm. you have applied for something and you, with full intention, felt that the numbers that this new program were going to yield actually didn't yield. What kind of conversations and when do you have conversations with funders to let either let them know or do you just go, oh, my gosh, maybe they won't see it? <laughs> well, <laughs> more than likely they'll see it because probably you've done a logic model, which, you know, communication is everything. Um, so... I think that's a really good question, and I don't think the answer is the same in every situation. I think it depends a lot on the relationship with the funder, but I think communication is better than waiting for a surprise. And so if things aren't going the way you had anticipated, and let's say this is a new program, well, we can only do our best guessing, uh, but you may not make those numbers. So why? Then here comes your qualitative. Here's the narrative that tells the story of we thought we were going to help 100 kids in an after-school program reach better reading skills. Well, it turns out that they did improve in their reading skills, but we weren't able to get 100 kids. And why not? I love the um, example of particularly a, a summer program or an after-school mm-hmm, program mm-hmm. where everybody's great intentions. You you know, you even have a rubric and benchmarks and numbers, and you pull in what the achievement scores. I mean, you do all that stuff, and it could simply be that the kids couldn't get there because there was a lack of transportation. And some of that is just a learning curve. 
So let me just diverge a second. In that learning curve with funders, because I think sometimes in the social impact space, we have a us versus them and it's not, right? Folks aren't going to, don't want to play with you if they don't think you're ultimately trying to deliver some good. So to ease that, and I love the word of transparency, but Mm -hmm. to evoke that conversation between the people who say, yeah, go with it. You've got a great idea. I can see your effort, your passion, your purpose. Let's go with it. And I'm happy to fund that. To not see that as adverse but in fact, we always say partnership, but I'm not really sure we ever exercise that. So can you talk about if it's going badly um, and whether or not maybe it's a new relationship, what are a couple steps that the leader of that organization can take to proactively just give the funder a heads up and maybe even seek some advice from the funder? Is that too Pollyannia to think that that can work? I mean, for me, I would love it to get to that space. I would love it to get to that space, too. And I think transparency is the key. At the end of any grant period, you have to make a report. So wouldn't it make more sense to call the program officer at the foundation and say, here's what's going on. Here's what we're seeing. It's not what we thought it would be. And I want to let you know and give you a sense of um, where we think we're going to end up. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any suggestions? How is this landing with you? And just have that conversation because I think midway through, there's an opportunity to even course correct with the blessing of the funder. So when you meet, um, let's put the CNM hat on just for a moment because I want to make sure people understand no matter where they're listening, that they can contact you for those kinds of questions and answers and all the different programs. So just for some background, you meet these organizations wherever they are. So it can be a social impact startup. It can be one that's maybe been around three or five years and they're like, oh, it's just not catching. It should be catching what's going on. And then you have the real tried and true champions that always are looking for ways to improve. So People seem to be able to onboard at different points in their journey. Absolutely. We like to think we have something for everyone in that you never outgrow the need to continue to improve. And so even those tried and true stars that you mentioned, there's still many things that we offer that can help their organizations. And we have lots of things that are just available as resources on our website. We have education. You could take a workshop for a day. You could take a certificate where you become sort of an expert in fundraising or volunteer management, or we have a new leadership development um, certificate. And that's a longer term period. It's a cohort-based learning experience. And then there are some electives. And so you you might end up with six or eight courses that you take. So that takes you a deeper dive. That's an individual that is getting professional development um, and taking it back to their organization. And then we have consulting, which is specific needs tailored to that organization. So let's say you need a strategic plan or your board just really doesn't think they know how to fundraise and you need somebody to come in and help them with that. We would tailor that to that particular organization. So there's a lot of things you guys do on all ends, right? So if someone's just starting or if it's a more mature organization, 
to say, hey, let's let's see if we can um, increase the way that you deliver or um, diversify the way that you deliver your mission or maybe even pivot completely and see if you can do more good in another function, in another way in that particular kind of right. space. Right. One of my favorite things that we do is called the Innovation Catalyst. And this is for organizations that think they have an idea for a new revenue stream, not a contributed revenue stream. It could be usually a sort of social entrepreneurial is what we see that comes in. And they come in in teams. We usually have six teams. And each team consists of the CEO of the social impact organization a board member or two, some key staff members that will be developing the program, and maybe industry experts, depending on what it is that they're cooking up. So this Innovation Catalyst, your group gets selected, and then you go through about a nine-month period, sometimes working in the big group with all six organizations, but then each month you have a meeting with the consultant that runs the program and and you develop a business model and business plan through this process. And what gets me excited about this is the very first session each group stands up and tells what their good idea is, what they what they're going to be working on. Then there's a midterm presentation where they have refined it and they um, begin to really talk about it. And I usually serve on the panel of the Shark Tank, um, <laughs> kind of more like a guppy tank, but yeah. still, Aww, that's sweet. <laughs> but still, we aren't too brutal. Um, and you begin to see it take shape. And then there's a final presentation at the end of the period, and. They've got a business plan, and sometimes they've even gotten started on it because they all come in at different junctures of where they are in the development of this. And anyway, just to see the power of what taking that intentional time to work and refine an idea, it is wonderful. And some of the best things going in Nashville right now in the way of social entrepreneurial stuff has happened through this process. I just love it. So it's an incubator. It's an incubator. You guys have put an incubator with intentional learning spaces and also some gates, right? Mm-hmm. They have to go through like the, the shark slash guppy. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, do- let's let's say dolphin. Okay, dolphin, dolphin. Sounds, That's dolphin so sweet. Dolphin sounds good, doesn't it? And they're yeah. so smart. I love that feeling of moving folks in the social impact kind of sphere that are in that, and you know my thinking about calling them nonprofits, but so that they do understand that doing good needs to be seen as a business for certain folks, mm-hmm. for right, in certain ways to deliver the mission. And so to put them through that learning journey was, must be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So do some of them change a lot from the beginning oh, yes. through that? Yeah. Yes, some yeah. do, and then some, and some don't. And, you know, a couple have decided they learned enough that this really is— it's not their gig. —might have been a good idea, but it wasn't going to either be mission-focused enough mm-hmm. or have enough impact— truly on the revenue to go through all the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share any of the metamorphosis? Mm -hmm. So the Nashville Food Project does catering, and they started their catering business through this innovation catalyst. So it was a way to have some earned revenue in addition to the contributed revenue, and they are able to make things go much further. Now, then they have restricted their catering business to social impact (laughs) organizations. Trying to get with you on that, Deb. (laughs) Um, So that's one. Um, Project Return. Sure. um, Which helps men and women coming out of prison get re-entered into society. They are actually in their second innovation catalyst 
cohort. The first, they developed a separate LLC, and it was affordable housing. They bought some housing, and they rehabbed it, but using the population that they serve to become more employable, to learn how to do construction and carpentry and all that kind of stuff. And now they are in this particular cohort that we're wrapping up at the end of October, and they're starting a business of cleaning offices and another business of landscaping. Okay, so what I'm hearing, yay, Project Return, uh, you and I shared the two and a half days together, Crossroads and that incredible uh, anti-racism workshop, which fuels me still today. So I met some of the folks from Project Return who are just incredible mm-hmm. people doing incredible work. I love that it's moving from this one very specific space in the Think of a word web, right? Work development for folks who have been formerly incarcerated, education for people who have been formed, right? And so they are taking that word map, if you will, and seeing where they can pick off components of that to change people's lives in a very distinct way, in a way that lifts up, intentionally lifts up. And you can see this schematic starting, right? So. Right project return, and then you've got the affordable housing, and now you've got the cleaning, and you've got people understanding how construction work. And and so you're starting to get at the core. So the cyclical incarceration has a chance of being Mm -hmm. stopped because alternatives for a satisfying, fulfilling life, it's not just left up to the person who has been incarcerated and doesn't have those supports when they come out. Oh, I just think that's exciting. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. It is exciting. And I think that some of these social entrepreneurial, social enterprises work really well with social impact organizations that have a population that they serve, like Project Return. Mm -hmm. I also think of Thistle Farms. Now, I can't Mm -hmm. take credit for their enterprise, but they are doing amazing things because they help women who have had drug and addiction problems and been involved in prostitution. They help them become employable, and they do that through making lots of products like candles and wonderful lotions and all these wonderful stuff. And it's sold all over the country now. Mm -hmm. And then they also have a cafe. And the cafe is right. And so they're helping the women that are staying with them. But then I think beyond the time that they're actually there, once they've moved into their own housing and so on, they're still able to be employed there. Yeah, I, I just think it's a full assault, right, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on the, the major core taproot kind of things. So if poverty and racism and income inequality and all those kinds of things that are undergird all these other, not smaller things, but kind of the byproducts of that, it seems to me that particularly in these two wonderful examples, mm-hmm. they really have intentionally said, all right, we just want to stop this cyclical incarceration or cyclical addiction or and and we know that these are some components that are going to actually get to a solution for that so we're going to implement that in our program man that becomes kind of big boy stuff doesn't it it really like does we really are moving away from something that may actually cause the cycle to continue um, not that anybody would set out to do that, but it doesn't go to the core of it and it doesn't provide alternatives. Mm. Oh, I think that's yeah. great. So the cohort is an annual thing or it's in for a couple years? How long does it last if it's, anybody's it's interested? A, it's about a nine-month program. The process is really a year because you come to an information session in November and then you, we get started in February and finish in October usually. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of stuff that you guys do, but 
I want to go back to success slash leadership, particularly for the um, executive director. As you're looking back over your year, your program year, to see if you've hit it. Have you done the right thing? Have you moved the mission forward? So let's talk about just kind of in a quick how-to. Name three things executive directors must get right at the beginning as they begin their leadership position. Well, I think the first thing is don't try to get everything done in the first 100 days. We hear so much about 100 days, and it's important. But I, I think there's also a temptation to jump in and get it all done. I think the first thing you need to do is listen. I think you need to listen to your staff. You need to listen to your board. You need to listen to your funders. That's the first thing. And then I think the second thing is to garner a shared vision from all the stakeholders. And I would suggest doing that by a strategic priority setting or strategic planning process, whatever you want to call it. We call them different things. Um, Because that brings everybody to the table and it hones in on where our North Star is, where we're going together. Oh, I like the way you said that. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to say that. So keeping in context with the Catalyst, Innovative Catalyst program, let's talk about the person who at 3 a.m. after seeing um, a documentary or having a conversation or hearing something um, about an organization helping a certain social challenge, Mm -hmm. let's just say hunger for kids in schools, and they wake up at 3 a.m. and they go, I know I need to do this. I'm going to get snack bars to my elementary school and see how that's going to work. And gosh, maybe then I can do this in terms of breakfast. And maybe I now I should really form a 501c3. I mean, this is all by 315 in the morning. So what are some words of wisdom you could give folks who are listening, who are starting to think about how can I make a difference? I love to talk to people who want to make a difference. And I think it's really important that you do your research. I think you can have a great idea. You can be very passionate, and that's great. Would you be better served by looking for a position in an organization that's already doing breakfast for kids in schools, for example? Um, So part of the research is what else is out there? Who's doing what? Where are they doing it? Is there a particular um, area of the city where this is a need that isn't being met? And and would you want to go to an existing nonprofit and offer yourself as a program director to, you know, enhance the services that they're already providing, either by expanding it geographically or or whatever it is, yeah. bringing in lunches, you know, whatever, right. whatever, whatever it is. But I see people getting so excited that they have to start a nonprofit. They're so excited. They're so passionate. But I caution that often that's not necessarily the wisest way to go. I appreciate particularly looking at what else is out there. Mm -hmm. If your idea, after doing the research, if your idea is unique, fabulous. Let's move forward. But if you see any organization out there that really could use your expertise and your passion, and you can lean into that, that just makes everything stronger that way. It absolutely does. And we love passion, and we want to help plug that passion in. I mean, it takes a lot of resources to start a nonprofit. You have to figure out how you're going to fund it. You have to entice people to serve on your board. It is a very intense process, and you might be able to get started on solving that problem in a different way more quickly by allying yourself with another organization. Yeah, I like that. That's well-heated advice Um, and really good for us to remember as we all try to make the world better Um, let's talk about the organization and kind of where CNM is headed right now. So what gets you most excited about CNM right now? Well, (laughs) there's so many exciting things going on at CNM. We have such a rich 
community, of a generous community. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is our work in collective impact. And collective impact is a, is a framework, as you know, f- for solving big population-level problems, like third-grade literacy or stroke prevention or adult literacy. So there's population-level problems that have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And if any one nonprofit or any one entity of the, you know, the school system or the local government could solve that problem, we wouldn't still have this problem. True. And so what we've been doing is working parallel or in silos toward the same problem and really not moving the needle toward reducing um, reducing or improving, which, which whatever statistic it is we're trying to solve. But right. let's say it's, it's third grade literacy. We haven't moved the needle on getting um, third grade reading scores at or above grade level for many, many years. It's not the school system's problem alone. We know that zero to three age-wise, is the most important in brain development. And schools don't even see these kids until they're four or five. That's right. And so there's a lot that has to happen. So having cross-sector work, government, nonprofit, social impact, funders, uh, corporate community, all working together toward shared goals. And so we are working to help initiatives that have come together to solve big problems like that, work together, build trust figure out what the metrics are that they're going to be um, presenting to the communities. Because these are also problems that aren't going to be solved tomorrow. Right. They've been around a long time. Mm. We're talking often in these initiatives a 10-year trajectory for really, really moving that needle. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited about the work that CNM is doing in this area. And then the other piece of work that we're doing, and it actually kind of became much more of a focus for us because of our collective impact work is our work in equity and anti-racism. We need to be leaders in the social impact sector in that area. And we're working to provide training, uh, provide safe space for really, really difficult conversations and trying to lean in and lead in that area. I think CNM really is doing that, Terry. I like how the collective impact notion, while it's kind of those larger frame stakeholders, it's also, if it's about literacy, it also needs to be about workforce development, right? It needs to be about working with substance abuse. It needs to be working about housing. It needs to be thinking about food. All of that really are contributors to a third grade reading level. That's exactly right. It's not just literacy. It's not just the literacy organizations. It's the food insecurity. The children are hungry. And how can you learn if you're hungry? Housing is also insecure that they move three times in one school year and and have to start over and with new classes and new teachers. And Well, and if parents and caregivers have been failed by the system, mm-hmm. then that's also a gatekeeper to the full enjoyment for a kid or for a parent or caregiver to enjoy the school year. If you're afraid to go on the campus and talk to the teacher about your third grader because you're just uncomfortable, that's another barrier that needs to be broken down. So I really appreciate that CNM has gotten onto that space and is really working it so that that intersectionality becomes kind of the watchword for you folks, because there isn't another organization that can really do it like that, right? Because of where you sit in the space, you can cause those conversations to happen. They're not easy to get started, but clearly providing this space where it can and working um, intentions or purposes to try to alleviate, to solve or make better. I think that that's, it seems like a really perfect space for you guys. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about 
what you do as an executive director for self-care. Because I think one thing that obviously doesn't happen a lot, there seems to be this, if I'm working 60 hours in a single day, that means I'm a better provider of my mission than if I took time out to take care of myself. Because I think you practice that really well. Can you talk to me about that? I think self-care is really important. And I think in a trusted space of other CEOs of social impact organizations, we often agree with one another that it should start with us, but it's really hard to start. And we've actually been having some conversations internally with our team where they pointed out that perhaps leadership is not setting the example of, you know, because of those long days, right? And so I've been thinking about it in a different way. Um, I would not expect my team to keep the hours that I keep. Mm. But I think that they see what I'm doing and feel in some way like they should be doing it too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on boundaries. <laughs> it's I a work it's in process. It's yes. a work in process. But I mean, in terms of self-care, I, I take care of myself uh, physically. I drink green juice. Yes, she and, does. And um, I uh, eat healthy. I exercise every morning. I don't feel like I can get the day started without that. And those few days when I'm not able to, I kind of feel sluggish. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do that. I also read a lot, which keeps my mind active. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I've been doing more business reading since I've been at CNM. I was at the Library Foundation before, and I, was, I got to do all the novels. <laughs> so, Fabulous. That's right. Um, I did read a novel over the weekend. I was uh, out, of, out of town and did that. That was awesome. And so I also do yoga every Saturday morning, and I play with my granddaughters. Look at you. Well, goodness. And you also find time to sleep, maybe, as well as run CNM. That's kind of amazing. Try, so try. you must have like 30 hours in your day, because <laughs> I, I don't think 24 is enough for all that wonderful stuff. Are there some books you could suggest to the folks out there that might yeah. be helpful to them? I actually do have a couple books. I recently reread Jim Collins' Good to Great for the Social Sector. We're using that as the springboard for our discussion at our board and staff retreat, which is coming right up. And gosh, I should reread it every six months at least. It is so good. It's been around a while, but it is so good. And so it's called Good to Great for the Social Sector, and it's Jim Collins. And what I love is the hedgehog concept, which says, what are you deeply passionate about? What can you be best in the world at? And what drives your resource engine? And he diagrams it like a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. And there's this little sweet spot in the middle that if you work on those three questions and you figure out what's right there in that little spot, and that's where you concentrate. Mm -hmm. And that's where it all comes together. And so there are other elements in the book, you know, defining grade, getting the right people on the bus, all these things. But that hedgehog concept is really pretty cool. So I would recommend that one, even if you've read it. Yeah. Read it read again. It again. Mm -hmm. And then another one that I've read recently is called Engine of Impact. It's the Essentials of Strategic Leadership in the Nonprofit Sector, and it's by William Meehan and Kim Yonker. I think that's how you pronounce it. And um, Jim Collins wrote the foreword. But it is, it's a more current, um, I mean, it's been written more recently, and it likens 
a social impact organization to an engine. That's a great yeah. image. And it's really excellent. We've been using it as a springboard for conversation in um, sort of a peer leadership group we're doing with CEOs. There's mm-hmm. 12 CEOs that meet monthly mm-hmm. for uh, two hours. And we've been using this book as a springboard for conversation in that. And that it's been really helpful. Wonderful. Oh, I like that folks like that can share stories, war stories, as well as celebrations. But to know that there's also some reading and curriculum infused in that Mm -hmm. sounds just terrific. I'd love to know how Nashville can help the Center for Nonprofit. Well, um, you can invest in our work. Let nonprofits that you work with or boards that you serve on know about the services. And we find that we have members that don't necessarily utilize the services as much as could be helpful. And so I would urge anybody in Nashville associated with a nonprofit to always remember we have some really great stuff. And you can amplify your impact by coming to CNM. And then just being a partner in the great work that's being done in the social impact organizations all over Nashville and Middle Tennessee, uh, serve on a board, volunteer. That is really being a partner to us as well. I love that. And I, I have to say, if you haven't been to cnm.org and dug through those resources, you are missing it out. It's tremendous. It's a trough full of stuff that can help you in any piece of your journey that you're in. They are curated beautifully and make working in this field actually really enjoyable because you don't feel like you're alone. You feel like you've got some resources that you can click into, which also helps you understand what classes, what consulting opportunities are open, This the whole Catalyst program. So um, everybody, please, cnm.org. Thank you, Deb. You know, uh, this may be a spoiler alert, but we are actually launching an amazing new website uh, in about six to eight weeks. Oh, how exciting. And it's going to be much easier to find all those great resources, and they'll be curated in a very attractive way. Oh, I love that. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Ever-changing. Ever-changing. Ever-trying to meet the needs. I love that. So this show really started because we know that people who are in this space trying to make the world better, either in the social enterprise space or in the social impact non profit space, sometimes spend a good amount of their uh, nights awake, wondering what if, how come, why not? And so, so Terry, what keeps you up at night? Well, I think I'm not dissimilar to many nonprofit leaders. Financial resources to be able to do some R&D work to improve our programs and services for our members, but where to find those resources, that's what really does keep me up at night. Yeah, that seems to be a common thread. Well, listen, um, as we close, just to let you know, here is your own official new bedside book called the 3 a.m. Um, book from the podcast. So when oh, you wake so up, I can write all my see, good ideas. There you I go. Know. I love it. Yes. Thank you. You are so welcome. We are thrilled that you are here with us. It means an awful lot to have the leader of the Center for Nonprofit Management come and spend some time with us to help those that are listening and thinking about how can I make the world better? Uh, or how can I pivot to make the world better as I intended? Or things are going pretty well, but I know I can even have a bigger effect. So Terry Hughes, thank you so much for being with us on 3 a.m. Thank you. What a terrific conversation with Terry Hughes of CNM. Thanks to Relationary Marketing and the Nashville Entrepreneur Center for their continued support. Among many pieces in our conversation, Terry provided a cautionary tale of seeing exactly what shape your impact should take. Perhaps a 501c3 may not provide the solution you're looking for. 
The magic of CNM's connecting space and its ability to push the conversations about population level social challenges in a safe environment to evoke change was a favorite piece of the conversation for me. But for now, our time is up for this episode. Thank you for listening. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright, your host on 3AM, a production of the McFarlane Group. Please subscribe to our podcast for our takeaways from each podcast conversation. Find us on themcfarlanegroup.com. Thanks again. More coming your way to help you optimize your impact in making the world better, disrupting the status quo on 3AM. 3AM.